1 Kings chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 24. And all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. And then if you'll move forward a few verses to the beginning of chapter 11. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidians, and Hittites. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had seven hundred wives, princesses, and three hundred concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build in high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he all did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. King Solomon was, as you know, the third king of Israel. He was the builder of the first temple in Jerusalem. He had reigned for 40 years during what many would call the golden age for the nation of Israel. And as we have read, all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. And yet we read just a few short verses later of his fall. How can looking at Solomon's circumstances drive us to pray more effectively for revival of the church in our day? First of all, we should not shy away from praying against sexual sins in the church. It's a difficult topic, but we live in a culture that is supercharged by immorality. It's invaded the professing church. I won't provide the numbers here, but take a few minutes to research the statistics on adultery and pornography and sexual assault within the church, and you will be shocked. Matthew Henry writes of Solomon, But the way of sin is downhill. Those that have got into it cannot easily stop themselves. Divine wisdom has appointed one woman for one man, and so at first— And those who do not think one enough will not think two or three enough. Unbridled lust will be unbounded, and the loosened hind will wander endlessly. To complete the mischief, Solomon clave unto these in love. He not only kept them, but was extravagantly fond of them, set his heart upon them, spent his time among them, thought everything well they said and did, and despised Pharaoh's daughter, his rightful wife, who had been dear to him and all the ladies of Israel in comparison of them. Solomon was master of a great deal of knowledge, but to what purpose when he had no better a government of his appetites? We'll not get into a discussion about whether there are degrees of sin and where one ranks in relation to another in some sort of a hierarchy, 
But from the multitude of verses that can be found in the scriptures, God is very clear that there is something very grieving to him about sexual sin. Firstly, God chose the earthly marriage union between a husband and a wife as a picture of the marriage of Christ to his church. Revelation 19.7, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Secondly, the sexual union was created by God specifically for within marriage to create new human life and to provide spiritual and physical oneness between a husband and a wife. God could have chosen to create every human being in the same way that he created Adam, but he chose the marriage bed instead. As such, sexual sin defies the holy creative nature of God. Also think about this. God chose circumcision as a sign of the covenant with his people. In Genesis 17:11, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. He could have told Abraham to cut off an earlobe or a bit of the nose or to pierce some other part of the body, but he didn't. And we're not given the reasons why, but God chose something that must have had great spiritual significance and importance to him. If you look into the book of Proverbs, you'll read many warnings given against this sin. Proverbs 5, 3 to 4 is one in particular. For the lips of a strange woman drop as in honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Warnings upon warnings indicate the importance of purity to God. The seventh commandment directly addresses it, to which Jesus himself provides additional clarity in Matthew 5, 28. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. The second and tenth commandments, while not directly mentioning sexual sin, are also applicable. In the second, serving idols, and in the tenth, coveting, specifically mentioning thy neighbor's wife. So we could say that three out of the ten commandments address this sin. We must pray against this wickedness and for God to break the chains of bondage to sexual perversion, and in particular within the church. He will not pour out his blessings to impure hearts. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Secondly, we should pray fervently for God's people to recognize any of their besetting sins, repent of them, and realize the very real danger they pose to their spiritual condition and unity with God. God knows us infinitely better than we know ourselves. The very hairs of our heads are all numbered by him. Psalm 69, 5, one of my favorite verses says, O God, thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from thee. In Solomon's case, his descent was precipitated by his penchant for women and his lust to have more and more. But the slide away from God can happen with any sin and its power over us. Gluttony, slothfulness, pride. Greed, fear, drunkenness, envy, lying, bitterness, hate, filthiness, murmuring, anger, ungratefulness, etc., etc., etc. Any sin when unrestrained can lead us down a path away from God and into a spiritual wasteland. We should pray fervently for the scales to be removed from every eye of every one of God's people and for them to return to intimate fellowship with Christ, their first love. Sin is so subtle and so dangerous, but it can so easily lead us to commit spiritual adultery against Christ. 
And finally, we should pray for reconciliation for those that have slid away from God. Solomon allowed his lust to let him slip so far from God and into a place of hard-heartedness that I think he probably never dreamed he would be. Due to his sin and rebellion against God, Solomon ends up the last king to serve over the United Kingdom of Israel. In his wrath, God will rend the kingdom from Solomon and eventually divide it. It was a powerful and painful blow to a powerful and accomplished king. You might think this a bit of a mental stretch, but I believe through the chastisement and humiliation at the hand of God that Solomon did return to the Lord. If you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Solomon wrote this book in his old age. It's a fascinating book where he's pouring out his ponderings over the issues of life under the sun. In verse 13 of chapter 12, he has this to say, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Is it a penitent confession? We do indeed serve a God of infant mercy, and only God is able, through the quickening of his spirit, to retrieve his lost sheep. We must continually plead with him to do so. Psalm 109 verse 21 says, But do thou for me, O God the Lord, for thy name's sake, because thy mercy is good, deliver thou me. O dear brothers and sisters, pray fervently that God would revive his church, that he would deliver his saints from any sinful bondage that they are under, and that we would see his hand move in an unmistakable way. Amen.